0: these topics are taboo in a way. Talking about death is very, very difficult. It's just not done in a lot of families. Part of what I would hope the book would do in, in a difficult relationship, sometimes the communication just has to start somewhere. And I've interviewed a lot of people when their parent died, nothing was written down and their experience might be going in and throwing out the whole life of their parent in garbage bags because they don't want this stuff. It's not the material objects. It's those memories, the voice, and sometimes just the written recollection that you can look on, because it might be a generation later where the real interest comes in from a grandchild who says, I sure want to know about my family's background. And that's gone unless you preserve it.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Join me, your host, Denise Gorant, as we explore the ins and outs of building healthy relationships with our adult children. Together, we'll speak with experts, share heartfelt stories, and get timely advice addressing topics that matter most to you. Get ready to dive deep and learn to build and nurture deep connections with our adult children. And of course, when to bite our tongues. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. This is an especially exciting episode for me. You'll see why in a minute. But before we get started, I want to take a second and take care of some business. I went to a podcasting convention, and so many other podcasters were coming up to me and saying, you have to be on YouTube, you have to do this, you have to do that. But I realized there's not much more we can do without a little bit of financial support from our listeners. And for those of you that have already given, we can't tell you how grateful we are. But for those who still want to give, we're trying to make it really easy by asking each of you listening for five bucks. That's it. And it's really easy to do. If you visit our website at BiteYourTonguePodcast.com, look for the Support Us tab in the upper right-hand corner. Click on it, and it'll take you right to our support page. Then you'll find a chance to buy us a virtual cup of coffee for just five bucks. We'd greatly appreciate it. Anyway, now on to today's episode. I told you it's a special one, and I hope one that will be beneficial to all. A few months ago, my daughter, Katie, who's 34 years old, sent me an email she received around Mother's Day. The subject line of the email was the perfect Mother's Day gift. The gift was a book called What to Do When I'm Gone by the mother-daughter team, Haley Bateman, who's an illustrator, and Susie Hopkins, a writer. Katie thought it might be a good episode for the podcast. I ordered the book. I read it. I thought, "Mm, she's right. This is terrific. This could make a great episode. And then I had the guts to ask her to co-host with me. I really honestly never thought she'd say yes, but I'm so glad she did. And I did think it would be interesting to all of us to have two sets of mothers and daughters talking about death and grief. You know, I'm a very detailed-oriented person, and I spend a lot of time telling my adult children about the practicalities of what happens when I'm gone, how to find my passwords, where the key to the safety deposit box is, and that kind of stuff. It's very hard for me to talk about the day-to-day life after loss. And my kids, as yours probably do too, hate to talk about death. Yet when this book came out, it opened that door. So first, I'll introduce my daughter, Katie Gliwa. My co host today. She lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where she works as an OBGYN. Katie's getting married in the next few months. In fact, maybe when this airs, she'll already be married. So, as you can imagine, we've been through all the ups and downs of the evolving mother daughter relationship and, of course, the wedding planning. I'm always using the advice from this podcast to build a stronger relationship with both of my kids. Katie, thanks so much for joining us. Why don't you introduce Haley and Susie?
2: Thanks so much for having me, Um, and we are so lucky today to be joined here by Hallie Bateman and Susie Hopkins. Hallie is an illustrator and writer whose work has appeared in The New Yorker, New York Times Magazine, Lenny, BuzzFeed, The All, and elsewhere, and her creative journal, Brave New Work, was published by MoMA in 2017. Susie Hopkins, her mother, is now retired but was a longtime newspaper reporter and editor and used to publish a quarterly magazine called Friends and Neighbors for boomers and seniors in California's Central Sierra. She's also Hallie's mom. She lives in Sonora, California. So, what we're talking about today is a book that Hallie and Susie collaborated on called What to Do When I Am Gone, with Susie writing the text and Hallie providing the beautiful illustrations. This book, What to Do When I Am Gone, is basically an instruction manual for getting through life without your mom, the first difficult days and then the weeks and the years to come. So, welcome so much, Hallie and Susie. It's wonderful to have you here. To to get started, can you tell us a little bit more about the inspiration behind your book? How did the idea come about? How did you get started? This
0: was Hallie's doing, so I'll let Hallie tell that story.
2: Sure. Uh,
3: So I originally had the idea for this book when I was like 23. I think it was like 2013. I was living at home with my parents in sort of a in-between place. I, I was in between moving cities, so I was home for a while, and I had this one sleepless night where I was lying awake, as you do, just sort of, you know, imagining the perishing of those I love and just parading that in front of my subconscious. And uh, that was not terribly unusual, I I guess. I, I think that I tend to gravitate towards imagining things like that. I was specifically thinking about losing my mom. And what was different about this night was that instead of just imagining her death, I imagined beyond that, the, the days and the months. And it sort of occurred to me viscerally for the first time that my life would continue. It sounds very obvious, but it was just something that hadn't really sunk in, I think, because generally, when I would imagine fearfully losing the people I love, it would be a moment of pain. and And then I would sort of exit the imagination. I, it would sort of be like, oh, you know, breath catching in your chest kind of thing. And instead, I kind of let the film reel play out. And I, I was like, wow, I am I would keep on living. And I, I couldn't imagine how I would keep on living. My mom and I are very close. And I don't know, it just struck me that I might be sort of paralyzed. Before I fell asleep, I, I got this idea of a book in which my mom writes instructions to me beginning the moment she dies on what am I to do? So if I did feel paralyzed, I could turn to the book. And the next morning, I pitched the idea to her at breakfast and she was totally on board. She was like, yep, sounds great. I'll do it. I got it all up here, like, great, awesome. And then it took quite a few years to, to actually hustle my mother to sitting down and doing it. And it was, uh, it was, it was a process. But the, the germination of that idea was, you know, this one night and my mom's receptivity to the idea the next morning.
1: You know, Hallie, it might be a good time for you to read that paragraph from your intro. You put into words, eloquently, kind of what you just said, but I'd love you to read that one part that I sent to
3: you. Sure. This time, I decided not to push the thoughts away. I allowed myself to vividly imagine my mom's death, to feel the pain of the moment I learned she was gone. The earth would continue to spin, and I'd be left in a world without her. My map would be gone. The ground beneath my feet would be gone. Who would I call to ask how to cook a potato? Who would listen to me talk about my work for more than five minutes? Who would tell me everything? Who would forgive me for everything? How could I possibly navigate this world without the person who brought me into it? Yeah, I just love that.
1: Katie, do you have a question or should I move forward? All right. I, this is um, going to make me cry also. I'm
3: already crying. So
1: I know.
2: <laughs> <saying thank you. laughs> um, I'm
0: crying. It's years after we wrote it, just thinking about it. It's, it's such a rich subject. Um, you know, the relationship that you have, you just can't fathom it. I'll just want to tell you how it came to be because the Hallie had this idea. And then I said, sure, no problem. And then big problem because I was running this magazine and it was growing and I was busy, busy, busy. And I just swatted her like a fly to get her out of my face when she started to talk about doing this. So she says, well, we'll go on a trip together. But there was no mention of the book. I, I don't recall there being. And then the first night we sat down and she said, I've got my laptop. I've got to ask you some questions about um, so that you can give me the advice for after you're, you're gone. And so she started to ask me the questions and she was typing frantically with my answers. And the more we talked about it in the days that followed, um, it was sort of a trap laid for, to, to corner me into doing a project, which really wasn't a book per se. It was a family project. It, we never, I never imagined it until a few months in as becoming a published book. It was really for her and my sons to have my advice in, in memories of what I would say. And um, the more we talked about it on this vacation together, the more it became evident how universal the questions were and how universal, it's my advice, but you know, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, many older people in my years in journalism, and what they said they regretted often tells you what might be important going forward. And part of that is preserving a lot of elderly people. Uh, really told me they just wish they could have one more conversation with that parent who, and particularly decades ago, might not have been forthcoming about some of the things that we take for granted that we talk about with our children now. So Hallie forced me into it. And, and, uh, then it became, we sold it and it became a book and to,
1: to my surprise. So. And I agree with everything you just said. I wish I could have another conversation
3: with my mother. You
1: start with, I think the first thing you say is sit down and take a shot of whiskey. Is
3: that right? Am I right on remembering that? It's actually a combination of whiskey and fajitas. Okay, okay. sorry.
0: Okay.
2: Oh, I remember fajitas. the fajitas being important.
3: You know, I'm,
1: I remembered the
0: whiskey. <laughs> a ridiculously complicated cooking exercise, which nobody would want to do when they're in the middle of initial grief and then it's just, you know, take a take a glass of whiskey because you're gonna feel so awful.
1: What I wanna ask you is when I first started reading it, I'm sort of one of these really practicality people. You know, I'm always thinking, okay, I've set up where my will is, you know, where to go for the safety deposit box key, blah, blah, blah. But I never think of these deeper conversations. Why did you choose to leave out? And Katie's going to question me on this, what I would call the hard stuff.
0: Well, because uh, uh, nobody ever said to me, gosh, uh, I wish my mother had organized her desk better. You know, they say, I wish my mom had shared that business about grandmother, uh, the secrets about grandmother in her affair in the 1920s, whatever it is, you know, just family gossip. That's what people want. the the memories, the administrative stuff is a technical thing to get through. And while I think it's very important, because I'm an organizer, too, that had nothing to do with the, to me, uh, when I look back on my mom, for example, you know, it's the sound of her voice, the the cadence, her humor, the little bits of her that stay with me in memory now, because that technical stuff passes. And I've interviewed a lot of people who when their parent died, nothing was written down and a lot of stuff was left. So their experience might be going in and throwing out the whole life of their parent in garbage bags because they don't want the stuff, which is part of the reason why writing it down and recording something. It's not the material objects. It's those memories, the voice, and the sometimes just the written recollection that you can look on because it might be... A generation later, where the real interest comes in from a grandchild who says, I sure want to know about my family's background. And that's gone unless you preserve it. It's about preservation.
3: And also, my questions to my mom were driving this book. And my fear of losing my mom was not about how do I... Bury her. It was not that. My fear was the void left when this, the most important person in my life is not there anymore. That's the thing that kept me up at night. I was not kept up at night about the technical stuff. That's just not that interesting to me. It's, by the way, there are like, there is a page that says, Allow me to explain the stuff you found while cleaning out my house. You know, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. The emotion tethered to each of these milestones and getting my mom's thoughts on on those was really important and I think there were things like this my mom having experienced much more grief in life than me where mom you contributed so much of the 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 knowledge and the awareness of what it is to go through a loss and I provided the curiosity based on what I felt I I would need to know
1: Hallie, what were the things to you when you interviewed your mother? Like I've picked out the pages that I like the best. What's something that you could share with our listeners that you think your mother offered that some was some of the best or most interesting? I hate to call it advice. It is advice, but in a different way. Observations.
2: Hmm. Observation.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, Kind of goes to what I was saying before. My mom's perspective, having, you know, mom, you lost your mom. I, I feel like you lent this this dimension to my fears and my questions that was, you know, I sort of have this clinging, abject fear of, oh my God, I'll be destroyed. And I think my mom, having gone through the loss of of her mother and looking at this page, um, Enjoy This Dream, it's on page 86, and it's you know, your mom popping in for a visit. I, I'm not prying and I don't want to interrupt. I just thought I'd stop by for a visit. Even if you forget what was said or the specifics of the dream, try to hang on to this feeling of reconnection. Assuming I'm not still nagging you to clean your room, I hope my visit reminds you how much I will always love you. I think there's there's something so beautiful about that. I appreciate the way that my mom, in in passages like this, there's this this acceptance of impermanence. And I think that's throughout the book. There's sort of this humorous get over it kind of thing, which I love also. I think that's my mom's sense of humor that's just like, you know, it doesn't matter how I died, get over it. But also (laughs) just this thing of like being present in the mystery of losing someone. And yeah, so... It's sort of get
1: over it, but I'm with you all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's not callous. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah that
1: sense of, of um, my, my,
0: actually, my mom came to me as I was writing. This writing took a long time because it was in periods between magazine deadline. And my mom came to me in a dream. That's the origin of that page that Hallie illustrated beautifully is she came back and it was just like, oh, it's just she just looked great. It was great to see her. And then she she left again. And it really gives you a sense of a peace, you know, that person is with you in myriad ways, and comes back to you at moments throughout your life for the rest of
2: your life. I think kind of like Hallie was saying, our mothers are in this position, as are many people in the world of being both mothers and daughters, and having that perspective about growing up as a daughter and having a mother and, and losing a mother and probably anticipating that and grieving that. And then also seeing, you know, kind of the, the reflection in the next generation and that experience gives them the wisdom to be able to apply that to us. When I first thought about doing this podcast together and talking to my mom about this, I pictured it more as the like, she's the mom and I'm the daughter. But as I read it more, I, I thought about how much I want to hear about my mom's perspective about being the daughter as well. And for both Susie and and Denise, I would love to hear about your own experience losing your mother and what sort of things you missed being able to ask her. What do you wish she could have told you after she was gone? Like what, What were those moments you remembered her? And Susie, I think you started to answer that a little bit. And I'm sure a lot of it is in, is in the book, but I'd love to hear your thoughts.
0: Well, for me, losing my mom was um, honestly a pretty spiritual experience. I was, my sister was her caregiver. She died at home and I was there with her holding her hand when she died. And it was just, um, I was swept up in a real uh, world. The best way I can describe it is a spiritual experience. As she was passing, I was swept up in a whirlwind of memory so really, a lot of my mom's passing did inform, particularly the end of the book, I just had this just, I was really stunned by it. And she had a, a as much as dying can be a fairly peaceful passing, and her church suffering was done. And I was glad for that. And I, I think it's more, I, I mean, if I'm being honest, what I miss more about my mother is the ability to have somebody else who's in charge of everything to say, oh, you did a great job or me to say, look, I started a magazine. That was after she died. I started a whole magazine like a little kid. Like, wow, look, did you do you like it? Do you like it? And, and I would love, you know, she would be thrilled. And she would be thrilled to know that Hallie is the artist that she is because my mom was a children's librarian with a master's oh. degree that she got in the 1930s. And she loved books more than anything. And so she would have been like over the moon about Hallie's work.
1: I have to say, I feel very similar. My mother was 92. I was with her. My mom and I knocked heads a lot, but loved each other very deeply. And um, she was in the hospital, but again, it was very peaceful and it was very sudden, unexpected. And when it happened, it is a whirlwind of emotion and a whirlwind of memories flying by your face. I think there's somewhere in your book where, or maybe it was in the intro where you say something like, and we have these conversations around the table all the time. If I'm drooling or you need to uh, put a diaper on me, just <laughs> shoot me, you know, my whatever. Mom says that
2: exact phrase all the time. I laughed when I read that in the introduction because wow. I feel like that is my main experience with my mom's afterlife wishes is just say like, just take me out back and shoot <laughs> me. <laughs> because none of us want to be that
1: way. And there isn't a day I don't wake up and see my mother's face in some way. And I think I value her even more that she's gone than I did when she was around. Because a mother's love is so, um, what's the word I want, all of you wordsmiths? You feel like it's always there. Yeah, well, but always there. Yeah, sort of like this page in your book, um, 56. I just love this. Look in the mirror and see yourself the way I saw you. At times you will forget you're amazing. And I hate that I'm not there to remind you. Your mother's one of the only people that are really going to tell you how amazing you are all the time because you're of their fiber and you lose that. If you've got a good one. (laughs) Exactly. I want to talk about that too. And a lot of our listeners are having difficult relationships with their mother-daughter. In fact, I have an episode coming up on mother-daughter relationships. Do you have any thoughts on how people that are in conflict with their mother can use this book to help them or to open conversation
0: i actually have a number of friends who have mothers they've disowned because of such toxicity and or they didn't and they just you know they had narcissistic moms they had these are women typically my friend group is in their 60s and 70s and What I'm stunned by is just that long-lasting impact. You know, for somebody who's got a super toxic mom, I'm in favor of not all relationships can or should be maintained, but for where there is potential inroads, Hallie and I wrote a, a little thing we distributed as a postcard at book signings. And it was questions that families can talk about because for a lot of families, these Topics are, are uh, t- taboo in a way. Talking about death is very, very difficult. It's just not done in a lot of families. And part of what I would hope the book would do, and in, in a difficult relationship, sometimes the communication just has to start somewhere. And in a way, a family talking about family history can be a little bit safer than saying, "Why are you such an awful mother?" Uh, you know. So, any way to build communication. There's a grief in having such a difficult parent relationship. There's a tremendous grief in that. So in a way, people that can't repair it can look at the book as they've lost the access to a loving parent. That never happened for them. And so in a way, they're grieving a loss even if they have a living parent oh, I just wondered if you had any thoughts on on that since a lot of readers have helped parents.
3: yeah, I mean, I've had readers and friends just say, can't relate to this at all. don't feel this way about my mom. And to that I say, this is something made between me and my mom, but I think this book is useful for anyone you love and care deeply about. We've you know had people say that it's been useful for grieving the loss of a pet or grieving the loss of, you know, any loved one. I don't think it's mother daughter specific at all. And honestly, for people who have difficult relationship with a parent, I just I echo what my mom said about, you know, kind of having a curiosity, but and like asking, maybe asking those questions on the postcard can be a way in. But I also think like this book doesn't have to apply to, to that relationship. This book applies to, to someone you love and mom you kind of started saying this but we sort of thought about this book as a mom in a book so someone who who doesn't have that type of parent someone who doesn't have that type of love but does feel this like void i think there is advice and loving wisdom in here that is hopefully giving giving readers to access to what that is but um i i hesitate to to kind of advise on this because we you know we had a lot of readers who were kind of like wow it seems like you guys have this amazing relationship and there's this kind of idealization in a way that might might be alienating to people and i just always try to say like our relationship is not perfect that not everyone has a mom who is this person in their life to some people the person who they are up at night worrying about losing is a different person to them you know a different figure so that's my thoughts so
1: I'm going to share something with you. What it did, I'm going to tell you what it did for me. First of all, I could never write the way you write, Susie. It's beautiful. And Katie, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you're a very good artist, but you're not Hallie. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't even say that. I'm, I'm going I know. Anyway, I know. I'm, just, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. That's mom talk for you. Yeah. <laughs> you, you put into words, Susie, things that I would like to say. And I think if it's not a toxic relationship, but you're not as close as you want to be. This really opens a door for someone like me to share my thoughts. Maybe they aren't exactly yours, but I can play with it and edit it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what this book did for me.
2: I just want to say, I think that that maybe is true from the parent perspective, but I think that maybe what Hallie was saying, maybe her friends and readers are more from the child perspective. And I can see how Having this could really go both ways as someone who's a child, not that close to their mother, because it could either be, like you said, a surrogate mom, almost a mom in a book, someone instructions or, you know, just a instructions for when you lose someone that you love. But I could also see how it may make people feel resentful or sad, you know, remind them of their sadness that they didn't have this mother figure in their life when they were alive or around So, you know, I think we can be sensitive to both sides of that by how we interpret either side of this differently, whether you see yourself more as the the child receiving the instructions or the parent giving the instructions. And I just I love hearing the different perspectives on that based on where we are and our different places in life.
1: No, I absolutely agree with that, Katie. And Katie, you said that, you know, possibly someone could think, well, I don't have that kind of relationship with my mother. I don't really care what they have to say or whatever. But I wonder if sometimes that changes after the mother's gone and if the mother had recorded something or written something like this but not shared it when they were alive. And then the daughter or son could choose to read it or not read it. I, I don't know. I wonder what you young people think know. or the daughter what would the daughter perspective of that be?
3: We actually did encounter that in, you know, talking to readers, we had a, a reader say, Oh, I'm buying this and I'm gonna make notes to my kids and I'm gonna put it in a safety deposit box and I'll give it to them you know when i pass and my mom and i were like no do it now talk to them now the whole i think exactly. that you know if it if it can't be avoided then sure but the hope is a dialogue between living living people kind of before before it's too late when when the questions can be asked and i think maybe just to simplify things we'll just say this just applies to people who are capable and willing to have that conversation you know i i've heard from readers who gave it to the parent as a gift and the parent got really upset and offended and it shut the conversation down so I think maybe just keeping it like this is like between people who who are capable of having the conversation I think having it when when everyone is around is like so powerful and what is often missing in in our culture is is just being able to to talk about death and loss and and these fears and these things that come up I've just been very surprised by I remember hearing a story, hearing David Sedaris talk about his mom passing away and how they never really talked about it as she was fading away. And I I remember being so surprised because I was like, David Sedaris, like funny, (laughs) honest, brutally honest, like even David Sedaris. And I, I just think it's like it's it's harder than we know. And it's all it's all this stuff that's like baked into our family structures and sometimes like it maybe it will be a kid gently nudging a parent or a parent gently nudging a kid but it's something that I think going ahead and, and breaking the ice is so important if my mom handed me this fully formed book on her deathbed and then just like passed out and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would just be like you'd be so mad be like, what I would be like mom you did you secretly worked on this this whole you know it's it, I'm so glad we had this collaboration of getting to talk and make this book happen.
0: The treasure's in the
3: process
0: because if you saw the book early on, I wrote pages and pages, not, I'm not making this up. I didn't really understand that this was going to be a graphic memoir. I didn't really get it. So on our second trip, um, Hallie says uh, she's taking a sectioned uh, you know, a whole page with lots and lots of words. And she's just going, we don't need this and this and this. And it gets down to this little few words that she allowed me to retain. And then I begin to understand she's sketching and I'm writing and she's throwing out vast amounts of, you know, words that of course I think are like so brilliant <laughs> and actually totally unnecessary. So that was my learning curve in not understanding the uh, what she had in mind, because Hallie always has a fully formed idea. So anyway, the, the beauty of this was as I, uh, she was throwing words away and asking me more questions that she really wanted to know for future events that would come up when I would presumably not be there, that was the value in it. And if you imagine a family having conversations that can get over the often what is a tremendous fear or maybe a generational reluctance to talk about death and dying. Uh, you know, people wait too long to go into hospice. It's really a difficult topic for some families or impossible, and that is what we hope that this would broach. It's not as much about our relationship as it is a gateway into the conversation. And demystifying death so that if you demystify it and you can have these family conversations, my thought is presumably your life is going to be fuller right now in relationship with that person, whatever the relationship is, it's going to be richer. And then they pass and you go through the grief, but you've had that time now. So it was, the process was remarkable for us. That's
1: beautiful. May I ask each of you to pick a couple things to read, but I think the only way we can really capture the essence of this book, and Katie, I'd love you to read one and Hallie read one, Susie read one or two. I'm happy to share a couple. And for our listeners, you're going to listen to these and and love it, but you've got to get the book to see these beautiful pictures because it complements the words in such
2: a magical way. So I was going to say, I'm sorry for describing this beautiful graphic novel on a podcast. Probably right? <laughs> not the
0: best for it. But I, I have one if you'd like me to start. Okay, go for it. This uh, stems from after my mom died. She passes away. My sister and I are milling around, you know, in the aftermath, immediate aftermath of her death. And I turned to my sister and said, oh my gosh, we're like next up on the diving board, which was my immediate, like, I just go... Wow, mom's gone. We're the net. For whatever reason, that was one of my early thoughts. I'm, I'm, I'm next up. We're next up. We're the the next generation is uh, going into the abyss. So this is called take a hike, and it's on day twenty one. The book is written in days after the passing of your person. Hallie has an illustration of a woman on a diving board. It's your parents' death is nature's way of breaking the shocking news that it's your turn next. I think of it as being next up on life's diving board, preparing to jump or be pushed into a bottomless, unfathomable pool. This should not come as a surprise, but somehow it does. And when you lose someone close to you, it may hit you with surprising force. This is not a day for swimming. Go for a walk in the woods instead. Think about the raccoons and bears and foxes who live and die there. They aren't the least bit worried about life's diving board. And after a while, you'll get used to the idea, too. Why go on if we all just die in the end? There's a great reason. If you knew you were going to live forever, imagine how much time you'd waste. Amazing things can happen when there's a deadline looming.
3: That's
1: That's beautiful. Really beautiful. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Who's next, ladies? i got one. This is... Day 8,000, Redefine Happiness. And the illustration is of a cartoon (laughs) creature at the gates of Happyville. I used to think happiness was something I would get to at some point. That one day, everything would fall into place and stay there. And then at the gates of Happyville, lasagna for everybody. We have two hot tubs. Your soulmate has been here the whole time population all your friends and it's always your birthday and there's free wi-fi and it's just you know <laughs> perfection it's not as if when you drop 20 pounds the world will be right and will remain right as long as the 20 pounds stay off you can be fat and happy or thin and happy and if you're lucky you'll have many happy moments and days just don't expect to have non-stop happy decades i see happiness as contentment with what you're doing right now that may be nothing at all, or something ambitious, or something in between. It's a sense of not wanting to be anywhere else. I chose that one because particularly the the image of Happyville and just this concept <laughs> really has stuck with me and is something that I, I come to on a on a regular basis and I feel like is such a thing that you say all the time, Mom, that's just like it's in the moments. It's in these, these moments that we find that, and it's not a, you know, it's again about the, the impermanence, but yeah, I really
2: appreciate that one. Okay. Katie. All right. On on a similar theme, I think I picked day 4,000. Think of me unexpectedly. I'm going to try to get through this without crying, but it kind of makes me cry. So it's a picture of a girl in a car listening to some familiar song lyrics on the radio. And then on the other page uh, in a car or maybe the same car, with her daughter sleeping in the car behind her, just kind of listening to the song. And so it says, Memories will come to you in waves, unbidden. Grief isn't the only byproduct of a death. And death isn't just subtraction. You're left with a treasure of memories that can be triggered by sights, sounds, smells, a record of how my life enriched yours. Sorry, Sorry, I'm a really (laughs) easy crier, which is what you're learning (laughs) here.
1: I think I I (laughs) am too, Katie. So, thank you. Thank you both very much. I know, and I, you know, even if you've repeated this, I like to end our episodes with one or two pieces of of advice or observation that you hope our listeners will take forward. Could each of you give one, Hallie and Susie? Happy to. Mine would be to uh, try to initiate
0: even difficult conversations and record in whatever way, if it's apparent that you can hold a tape recorder up to hearing a voice later is an incredible thing that the written word can't do. Pictures, any way of recording what their thoughts were, why they were who they were, and having the conversations that help you understand that better because you don't understand your parent the same way at 20 as you do when you're 80. That would be my advice. Start the conversation, even if it's a little challenging, and uh, write some things down.
3: Allie? Sort of a, a spin on that. That advice. Mine, I'm thinking about this book and how, you know, between my pitching the idea to my mom and us actually sitting down to write it, years went by. I mean, I think it came out five years after the original idea, and it took three years to get my mom to sit down. And my mom is someone who's very willing to have this conversation, but was also like, "Mm, too busy, whatever, I'll do it later. So my advice would be persistence. It might be that it's a difficult conversation or it might just be that if it's hard to have this conversation in the middle of daily life, go on a road trip together or take a trip. Like we we took a trip where we were in a cabin in Maine with no one else around and then it was like we could focus. So persistence and patience and some creativity to kind of corral the conversation into some place where it feels possible so that would be my advice well before we go i just wanted to to mention that my mom and i have our second book coming out in 2025 with bloomsbury which is the same the same publisher just wanted to share about that since i'm literally working on it <laughs> night and day right now so are you allowed to tell us what it's about yeah uh mom do you want to do you want to give me the, the kind of spiel This
0: is called What to Do When You Get Dumped, and it is um, sadly my story. Uh, My husband left me two days before we were to retire together, and shortly before, Hallie and I went on the book tour with this book uh, for a a woman from his past, and uh, with with very suddenly, very unexpected, life just took a turn. This is something I wrote to process the grief from, from going through that. And it took, uh, I wrote it in the third year after he left and my life went upside down. Hallie is now, uh, we sold it to Bloomsbury and it is a manual of surviving heartbreak for whatever relationship um, causes the heartbreak. And I learned a lot in the process and now I'm able to watch Hallie every day painting all the images. It's about a hundred paintings she's doing For this book and it's absolutely beautiful so we're pretty excited about it that's
3: going to be a hit we're calling it kind of a sibling book um you know it's not about the the parent-child relationship but it is about this other form of of loss and it has similarly my mom's humor and wisdom and i'm i'm really excited that we're we're doing another book together so well good luck
1: thanks Thanks. i think it's going to be great thank you and I guess from me, I want to say thank you to all of you. Thank you to Hallie and Susie for agreeing to do this. Katie, thank you for the idea. Thank you, Katie, it's been an honor to have you with me on this episode as my daughter and both of you. So thanks so much. Thank
2: thanks you so much so for having us. you for being here.
1: Thank you again to Hallie, Susie, and Katie. You can see why this was such a special episode for me to record. I would love to hear everyone's thoughts about our discussion. Just email us at biteyourtonguepodcast at gmail.com. I will share in the episode notes, the postcard they mentioned, the one that lists questions to get this conversation started. If you're interested, it might be something you'll try. I'll share a link to the book too. Also, once again, thanks so much to Connie Gorant Fisher, our audio engineer. And I'd be remiss if I did not ask you to support our podcast by going to our website at biteyourtonguepodcast.com. Click the support tab and for as little as $5, you can help move us along. Thanks again to each and every one of you for listening. Share an episode with a friend. And remember, sometimes you just have to bite your tongue.